Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be doing our TIL show number three. Uh, before we get started, let's give us a little announcement about uh, Angular Up coming up. Uh, Angular Up 2017 is one of Europe's largest Angular conferences. Uh, it brings together top international and local speakers, and is also going to include a magical two-day tour to explore the beauty of Israel. Uh, the event's going to be on June 25th in Tel Aviv, and you can find out more information at angular-up.com. And they provided us a discount code for 10% off tickets. Uh, you can use the discount code angularair, all one word. Uh, it looks like uppercase. Maybe it could be lowercase. Find out when you submit the form. But uh, Angular Air, all one word. So check it out. All right. Joining us as panelists today, are, well, we actually kind of have, I don't know, as panelists, guests sort of thing. We're all kind of doing this uh, TIL, TIL stuff. We're going to showcase some stuff that you can do in Angular. So um, joining us today, we got Mike Brocky. Mike, what is going on? Uh, not too much, man. Just looking to learn as much as I am to show a few things here today. Sweet, sweet. And we got Yuri Strumpfumer. Oh my gosh, I already messed it up. I don't have it in front of me. Let me try that one more time here. Yuri Strumpfloner joining us. Yuri, how's it going? Hi, fine. I'm doing fine. That was perfect. All right. All right. Uh, hey, Yuri, why don't you tell uh, our guests, uh, our viewers, a little bit about yourself for those of them that don't know you? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a full-stack developer, basically, doing a lot of Java and .NET as well. But I'm, I love to do the front-end stuff. And there I'm doing mostly AngularJS and Angular 2 as well, or Angular, how it is called now. And yeah, I do blog a lot. So people may know me from my blog at yurisr.com. I do write mostly Angular articles lately there. And I'm doing also some video stuff lately. So I have some courses on PackPub, on learning Angular components, and yeah. Being around on Twitter, trying to help out the Angular community, that stuff, basically. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know I've seen a ton of your content that you put out there, which is great. Um, so yeah, blogs, videos, all that stuff. Check them out. What, what's your Twitter handle? Yuri STR. Everything written together. All right, so definitely follow that. All right, you guys ready to kick this thing off and start showing some demos? Absolutely. All right, Mike, you're first. You ready? Oh, wait. Uh, OK, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. All right, so I guess that's right. why I present my screen. You ready? Oh, sure. All right, we're cool. Everybody see? Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll let that run for a second. Nice. All right, first thing I want to show off is uh, VS Code extension. Uh, it's the Angular language service. Um, which you can find in the VS Code Marketplace. Um, I'll just show that in here. So you can go and take a look at that. You can find that through the Marketplace within VS Code. I already have it installed. Uh, but all you would have to do is come in and search for Angular Language Service. And just click Install, which I can't because I already have it installed. Uh, and then once you have it installed, just reload your application. And the main thing that this provides is absolutely amazing. So if you come in here, and I just have an inline uh, component here, but if I wanted to add something in here inside of a div tag, and say I wanted to show like first name and last name, 
So if I want to add first name, it's going to give me uh, red squigglies right off the bat, right underneath of there. And it's going to tell me that as I hover over it that it's not defined on the component. Um, because what you need to do is down in your component is actually declare first name um, is whatever. I'll just make myself a value. And you notice that the red squiggly goes away because it knows that it's property there. Do the same thing here. And we can do last name. And where this is very helpful is if I, um, so before we do that, uh, so say I come down here and I get last name, and I come in here, it's all about me, so I'm gonna put myself in again. And if I come in here and I uh, were to have some sort of typo, like I forget the T, then I'm gonna get that uh, instant feedback right off the bat that this name here is not a property on the actual class. And that gives you that real uh, rich uh, dev time experience that you come to expect, uh, when, especially when you're running TypeScript. So in here, if you have a constructor, it's the same kind of feedback that you get here. If I were to say this dot, uh, again, with the same as spelling, you get the same feedback here. That that's not a property on the component. And same thing here, you get that this is not a property. And just by fixing the typo, it corrects those up. Um, there's been a lot of improvements with the latest release, um, but it's really nice here. Do you also get navigation to that? Like, can you go to declaration on that last name and it'll jump to the property? Let's see here. If we go to definition. Ah, uh, yep, it does. Excellent. See, I love that. And that works as well. And I'm going to come in here and I'm just going to generate a component because surprisingly enough, I did this with the CLI. If I generate a component of foo and it also works, so I did this here with an inline component. So if I open up foo.component.ts and split that in over here to foo.component.html. If I have my component over here and my template over here, if I come in here and again, just say bar, that's going to tell me that bar doesn't exist. But if I come over here and define bar is equal to bar, it works across uh, multiple files as well. There we go. So it's even both the files. Uh, you can see that that now uh, reconciles that. But if I have a typo in one or the other, so if this has a second R on it, then it'll actually uh, sync that up and tell you that you have an error. So one of the things with the latest build stuff is you potentially get these errors when you use a private field in your template. Um, and we get those at the runtime, right, or build time and, and find that in our error console and we have to go debug and figure out what that's going on. Does, it, does that help here? Uh, let's take a look. I believe so. Um, I typically don't use a lot of private on the properties as well. So yes, uh, it actually does. So by specifying that this property is uh, private, then you don't have access to that because it's not exposed from the component class into the template. So that's what's really cool about this language services stuff now being available is now we've got all this additional intelligence in the, and logic and, and smarts inside of our templates, but we also have like the stuff that Angular is doing to build and we get that ahead of time knowledge, right, of when we're doing something wrong and can fix it right in our editors before we even go to build. Absolutely. So the, the way you typically get this feedback um, in a JIT mode would be in the browser 
that you are looking at is like, well, I thought I was outputting first name. Why is that not there? And you have to go through that depth cycle of having your application recompile, reload in your browser, possibly navigate to a different screen just to notice you have a typo within there. Um, that gets simplified a little bit if you're building with um, AOT on because it'll also capture those errors at that point. Um, but here, to get that feedback right off the bat as you're developing and writing your code is just a brilliant implementation as far as I'm concerned. And so I guess probably this does also work with functions, right? So if you add a function in the template, it recognizes also the parameters. Does it work for that as well? Sure, let's uh, do something. And it's going to tell us here that do something does not belong on our property here. And let's put it up at the top just so that we can see without scrolling here. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. so and as well as with parameters. So like if you add in a, a string parameter or something, it probably recognize that as well. If that takes it in there. Uh, no, maybe not. OK, so it goes up until the reference base get the function. Uh-huh, cool stuff. And then go to definition, as uh, Justin pointed out, is, is there. Yeah. yeah, cool. Which is very cool. So that was the first thing I had to show. Um, anybody have any other questions on that real quick? No. I'm going to say it's good anyway, so. So the second thing I want to show, I'm just going to clear this out here just to give myself a little bit more room. Um, I did a talk at ng-conf about using directives. And I want to show what happened there. Here we go. Sorry, I was trying to move things up and it put it inside the styles. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about selectors. So I have a couple of inputs in here. And I've also defined a directive. So uh, let's put this over on the side. This over here. Uh, everybody can see everything? Yep. yep. Actually, yeah. I'm going to put this back over here just to make it a little bit easier to read. So I have a component here with two inputs. Um, and I just made a block and margin, put a margin just to clean them up a little bit. Uh, so I have two inputs, one with no directives, and another one that I have an attribute on here called TIL, input for things I learned, uh, input. I also have a directive here, which I'm registering uh, the host binding to change the style of the background color to yellow, just based off of that here. This is just a simple directive to be able to override that type of value. So basically, any input that I were to create, uh, I can't type it out. Um, with that attribute, we'll also get that um, background coloring on it, right? But we can actually do a little bit better with our um, inputs here. So instead of it being based off of this particular uh, selector here, we could actually put that on all inputs. Just by saving that, you can see now it will apply to all of these. So the nice thing is that now we can actually remove this here because it'll still be applied, right? Again, you'll still see that applied to all of them. However, maybe you are wanting to do something um, 
more particular. So instead of doing yellow, maybe you want to do red uh, to implement something having an importance. And I don't advise the styling, but it works. And say in here you have a type password. Right, so you want to be able to tell you, hey, this is what your passwords are. So in here, you could also add on that you want it to be based off of the type, that it has a type attribute with a value of password. And you see that you can um, further refine your selectors, um, not just uh, based off of a tag or an attribute, but you can actually combine these as well. So if you had another one down here, that is also a password, but maybe you have one that has a class of confirm confirmation, right? And you only want to apply this if the class has comp or if that input is also a confirmation one. Which is very cool. So there's a lot more that you can do with selectors to be able to take advantage of um, the selector rather than just be based off of a simple attribute or based off of a class or based off of a tag name. You can combine all of these as well. And I think that's something that people can take advantage of to add a whole lot of functionality to your application without much um, else within your application, without having to uh, touch most of your application. Mike, can you point out really quick how that magic is working when you don't have the directive as an attribute on those things? Like, why is it going because we're declaring it in the module? Oh, how is this directive working? Yes. So this directive here is just being exported from this class. And then inside of app module, I am importing in this directive. And I am declaring it uh, within the module, which allows me to use that anywhere within this module, including the app component that lives within there. And, th and something like this, something generic, um, obviously you're going to do want to do more with the host listener or host binary or host listeners uh, than just setting a background color. Uh, but that's just an example of how you can activate different directives using different types of selectors. And that's just very similar to the core directives that Angular has, you know, things like ng class and stuff, you're bringing them into your module and then they're going to light up throughout that module's components and, and whatnot. Absolutely. And I didn't get through uh, typing up an example beforehand, but the one that I wanted to show was doing something like this, where you can have a host binding, or excuse me, a host listener based off of the input. And inside there, you also want to have uh, I think it's a string. I remember the syntax off the top of my head. Um, and then this is going to be input handler. Function that takes in events. Right. Um, spitball in here and on here in order to for this to uh, take effect. We need to have a telephone number. And in here, we're just going to say uh, any particular value here. All right, save that. Did I break something? As we're compiling. Yeah, so we have that here. So what you could do it in here, 
is you could have the uh, the input is going to be put to the EVT dot target, and from there you can get the value is equal to the input the value and. working here we can capture the value here and since we have this on all telephone ones we could then come back and say uh, we could format it with dashes so here we could say input our value is equal to the val and we're just going to do a split nothing and join it back together with dashes Right. So if I come up in here and I'm just going to plug in ABC. And anytime it changes, it's going to put a dash in between. So if you wanted to, you could format this. So let's say val dot replace all dashes with nothing. You could use this as a way to format um, values within the text box to always have dashes in between. Uh, that doesn't do it globally as a replace. But you get the point that you can um, then um, essentially add uh, mask. Maybe you want to do this instead of on input, you can do it on blur. And then you can come in here and then I can type ACB. And then as I tab out, it would then change the value. Very cool, very cool. And then also on the same way you can do that on the blur, but you could also do that on focus to strip out um, any formatting that you've added in um, and put that in. And again, this since it's based off of a selector of input of type telephone, then you could do that for all telephone uh, numbers within your application uh, just with one input, but with um, attributes that you're already adding to inputs anyway. And the nice thing is also what many people don't know, I guess, is that you can also concatenate different kind of selectors, right? Like you can say apply now for the for the formatting probably doesn't make sense, but for the highlighting you could say all input of type password and telephone number. Yes. Then you could have just one directive and apply it to to multiple type of fields. Absolutely. Um, you could even have uh, individual filtering within here, um, or within with whatever else you're activating within your uh, directive. Exactly. To conditionally apply these different uh, pieces of logic. So maybe only modify the input value if the length is uh, for phone numbers 10 numbers or what have you. So mm -hmm. that those are the things that I've learned that I wanted to share. The language services and the custom uh, more specific selectors for directives. Those are good ones, Mike. I like them. All right, Yuri, you ready? Yes, of course. Okay. So let me share the screen. Mike, can you turn off presenting? Oh, screen share. I turned it off, but I think yours, I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Hold on, let me. This doesn't present. I think I turned off sharing. Should I simply try to share mine? Here you go. I got it. I got it. Hold on. 
Everybody's just looking at me. There we go. Host error. All right, here we go. I'm going to share you, Yuri. Okay. All right. right. Do you see that screen? No, we see you. Okay, just a second. Okay, now I guess you should see it. There we go. Okay. Font size is fine. Yeah, yeah, looks good. Perfect. So what I wanted like to show today is some stuff around Angular version four, because it was basically taking a look at uh, what they released, some some features, and experimented around a bit with them. So I'd like to show some some stuff here today. So first one is the new additions they have added to the ng if and ng four. Like what I've created here is really a uh, quite a stupid component, which does nothing as an HTTP request here. I do some delay, some artificial delay here to see some effect. And then up here, I have created really strange construct. So what I do is I pass here directly ahead the stream of the HTTP call, like in this observable here. And here I make use of the async pipe to directly basically hide that part there just until the moment it has loaded the data. In fact, you can see initially once the plunker loads, you see the username, and now the hi comes, and then Yuri comes. And this effect that these two come into, into the, the DOM separately is because what I did here is I used two times this kind of async here, which is actually quite dangerous because what you do here is that you subscribe two times to that observable here, and you create basically the HTTP quest two times. And also, I use here the safe navigation operator basically to make sure this doesn't break. So it, it, it will go ahead basically here only once this part here is loaded. And this is actually quite ugly uh, to look at. And you actually shouldn't write code like this. There are other strategies to do it. Uh, but what I want to show here is basically what they introduced in Angular 4, which is the S keyword. So what you can do now is you can store the result of that async request here into variable, and let's call it here user. And now I can get rid of that second part here and can directly use that variable here to display basically the result. And now you also see those two come in at once. So that means we don't register two times and we don't execute two times the HTTP request, but only once here. So I think this is quite a nice addition, which I have added to the NGF here in this case. Another thing which was also much requested as uh, an else block. Because up until now, if, if you remember, even in AngularJS and also in Angular now, you only have if blocks here. So if you want to do something in the else case, you would have to add a second one and then negate basically that Boolean condition here. So that's what we did up until now. And now what we can do here is to define a so-called template. And also here, there is something new, because before, what you wrote is something like this, probably, and template. And these have been deprecated now, uh, starting from version 4. And what you have to do here is you have to add that ng minus in front, so to make them Angular-specific templates. And then what we do here is we apply, let's say, nulls template, like this. So we give it a name with this template variable. 
And now what we can do up there is we can specify that alt block. And that alt block is basically specified by inserting here the, the comma and we do else. And then we simply reference the else template by the variable name. And now you see basically the username that comes in once the blank loads. And then obviously we have to insert here something. Loading user, just to see something different. That's the blank loading here, so don't be distracted by that one. And now we see loading user, and then basically it kicks in. So what I did here is, up until this is not loaded, it will execute the else block, and therefore it shows our template below here. And once this gets loaded, it will enter the if block here, and then basically show us here the username which we loaded. So I think this is quite nice, especially for such loading bars here, or such loading indicators, which you can directly insert in our components here. I like it because I don't have to use the share operator on the HTTP call anymore. Exactly, exactly. And that's what many people even don't know. So they may exactly write multiple async registrations there and, and get multiple calls behind the scenes without noticing. So actually, yeah, that's really a nice feature. And, and you don't have to have another ng-if with the opposite of that user async, which is really cool too. Exactly, because otherwise you duplicate basically that logic up here. Up here. So either you you add it, extract it into a function, but which is also quite cumbersome. And so you can write it quite nicely inside there. And they also added another thing. So that S clause here has also been added actually to the ng4. So I have here created another directive. So let's first hook it up here. I've already imported here. User, user list, I think it's called. Look. Yep, it loads up. So if I open up the user list here now, so this is quite a simple, plain, normal ng4 as we have written it up until now also. And what's interesting, what I can do here is I can also get the indexer of the for loop. And that was uh, already in Angular before. So what I could do here is write something like i which would be my index. And I can get that index by saying here uh, index. And here I can say si. Again, that index variable is something that any for loop gives me here in my main condition here. And then I can store it directly into that i here. And you see I get basically the, the, the numbering of the, the element position in that array, which again here is a stream, basically. So I, have, I didn't change that part. And the nice thing, however, what you can do now is you can also do something like this. What if I would like to have here something like users.length? So I would like to see in which position this is in the total amount of users. And again, just as we could, uh, as we have seen in the if block, we can here store that as users. So we get that async block stored into here. And now we should see here the numbering. So we get 0, 1, 2, of 3. And this is a really nice feature, I think. Yeah, that's definitely cool, too. Yeah. I like that because then you could also, if you wanted to find like the previous person, you could do users sub i minus 1 if and wrap that in that if, if i exactly. is greater than 0. Exactly, exactly. Cool. 
so that for the first part of the things I wanted to show. So this has been introduced in Angular version 4. Uh, another thing that has been introduced, which was also quite written a lot online, is the whole universal story. So that's basically Angular on the server side. And there, what I did is I prepared a small demo. So can you see that here? If the font size should be large enough. Yeah, that looks good. And I created here a very simple site. <laughs> I couldn't resist to buy this domain here as it was free. And I thought this would be a good occasion to basically create a server-side Angular app and experiment around a bit with it. So right. first of all, <laughs> first of all, uh, what is server-side Angular application? So if you take a look here, if I start this application, fire it up. Let's make it compile. So server-side application means basically that we pre-render stuff on the server side. So we don't basically just get the empty HTML template delivered to the client and then Angular does dynamically the rendering, but we already pre-render stuff on the server once the request comes there. And that has quite a lot of advantages. It comes with search engine optimization support, or also if we share links basically on, on social networks like Twitter or Facebook or, or those then it's, it's really sensible to have the HTML already pre-rendered because they are going to parse that content. And actually, Jeff Croft, I think, did a, quite a cool talk at ng-conf about that, about the, the advantages of server-side rendering. And so what I did right now behind the scenes here is basically to fire up that application, which I have generated with Angular CLI. And you can immediately see if I go to the page source that this application is not server-side rendered because what we see here is our top-level root component, which is usually app root. And we see here that loading dot, 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 and detect that closes again. So there's no content here in the, the view source part here of our template. But rather, we have, as you all know, probably do the inspect here and go in. And then we see actually the server-side, the client-side rendered content, which here gets dynamically inserted by Angular. So let's see how we can make that rendered on the server-side. Now, first of all, what I did here is I didn't invent this myself. So I came across this article by Manfred Steyer, which is also a Google developer expert. And what he did is he wrote basically a tutorial where you can go step by step and create your server-side rendered application with Angular CLI. And there's also a repository linked here at the very top, which is from Rob Wormald. And he based his article on top of that uh, repository from Rob, which contains also very useful information if you want to look that up to, to, to get a seat, to get basically to play around with the server-side rendering stuff. Now, there's one important information here. When it, it told, like, I used that with the Angular CLI, then what I really meant is I used the CLI to create me the scaffold, so the initial product setup and the whole configuration. And then I made use of that ng-eject command to basically get out the, the, the configuration that the CLI generated for me. Now, this is not quite ideal. So it's not something I really like, actually, about the solution. But I think Mike wrote me on Twitter sometime, some weeks ago, that this is something that is planned, basically, for future versions of Angular CLI to also have server-side rendering support. And correct me, Mike, if that's wrong. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely being locked into. Yeah. that that. that I'm really looking forward for that. So right now, we, the only option we have is basically to do the eject stuff and then 
here Manfred walks through the different kind of steps how to, to, to change that configuration that has been generated by the Angular CLI and adapt it such that you can use basically it for server-side running stuff. So I'm not going to walk through all of them, but just to give you a small very insight here. So first of all, what we have to do after the eject is we have to insert here or get some packages for server-side stuff, which is here Express, which is a famous library for doing MVC kind of stuff, MVC kind of APIs on the server with Node.js. And there are also already types for TypeScript, which is really nice. So you get also the auto-completion, which you're accustomed to have in Angular with TypeScript. And one important package is obviously this one here. And this is actually where the Angular server-side stuff has been merged in. Because before it was a community project and it was in a separate repository externally. So it has been basically uh, made a disposal at NPM on a different kind of uh, NPM package. And now the team with version four actually decided to merge it inside here. So that's where you actually get server-side running stuff. So you have to include that. Then there are a couple of configurations you have to do, like you basically copy the Webpack config, which is this one, which gets um, basically generated by CLI for you. And when you use inject, it basically reveals it for you. And you copy it into the service config, and you do some adjustments there. Yeah, the main parts here are the entry point, because obviously we have here a different kind of file for the server than we have for the client. And we are going to take a look at this in a second. And some other stuff Manfred did here is for the AOT compilation, because what he did actually is also to AOT compile the server-side stuff. And therefore, you also have to adapt here, obviously, the path, the different kind of paths to point to the server-side module rather than to the client-side module. Now, in theory, you shouldn't have to use, or you, there's not a must to use AOT compilation on a server-side, because actually it gets executed on a server. But since AOT should become the, the default for basically running Angular applications soon or later, it's already good to start in that way also here. Then there's the same thing also for the tsconfigs here. So you have to copy the original one. And again, for the AOT compilation, you add in here Angular compiler options and you point it to the serve module. So far, any questions? Nope, following along. Cool. Then obviously we have here two different kind of um, main TS files. We have one entry point, which is the default one for the client side, and we have one for the server side. The client side is quite uh, unchanged. Actually, I didn't modify anything inside here. And on the server side, it gets more interesting because that's actually where our Express Node.js application runs. And you see already at the very top, there are some imports, which there's a node zone, a zone specific library for Node.js. Then we have our platform server. We also have packages which are exactly the identical ones as we run on the, on the client side. If you remember that enabled prod mode, for instance, so that also shows that they are basically platform agnostic. So Angular has been built in, in a platform agnostic way, so you can run it also on the server side in this way. Then this one actually you can ignore for a second because I actually include here directly the module, which is the AOT compiled version, as you can see here from the path. Then we import here Express.js and a couple of other things. The next important thing is this one here. 
this is the ng express engine it's actually something rob has created in his robot mode in his demo and what this does is it handles the um, it implements basically um, an engine a templating engine for node.js so it has here a kind of template cache and what it also does internally it forwards the template requests to that render module factory and that's something we get from the platform server so this will actually do the rendering based on the URL which we're requesting for our Angular templates and then generate the string, which is then basically served up here. And if we go back here to our server. Hey, Yuri, is that for um, things like different routes and stuff? Exactly. It does basically the template rendering. So in Node, for instance, here it is actually hooked up. So in Node, you can define like for HTML, I want to use that template engine and that's basically what it does so here that is the, the class which rob created which we have just seen and we pass in here the options which we wanted to bootstrap and some urls and he does basically then the rendering hooks it up with node.js yeah because that's one interesting thing with the server side rendering right is that, is that you think right off the bat okay i got the entry point to my app when i first hit it but yeah. it's really anytime somebody reloads the browser, if they're in the browser, that that network request can get made and you're going to want that server-side render chunk to come again, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and if you have some time, I have also a branch where I have added some routes. So we can see also that how it does the server-side running of that part. It's actually quite easy to add then. Cool. And in the air, there is some server-side uh, Node.js Express stuff here, which comes here below. And here you see, for instance, we simply say whenever someone requests uh, our application at the, at the root of our application, then you just render the index.html part. And with that render instruction, it will basically use here that engine, which we have just hooked up. So behind the scenes, it will use Angular again to render that template out and deliver it to the client. Okay, and that's it so far. Then we have also, after the main TS, obviously we have here the, the modules, the different kind of modules, because up here we have seen, I'm importing here the app server module because we're rendering obviously the server side. And we have here that app server module, which is very similar actually to a client side module with the only difference that here we import the server module. We also import our client side app module and then we register it here in our ng module section as we normally do. And interesting also here, we bootstrap the app component, just as we would do on the client side. So we import that very same component and bootstrap it also on the server side. Okay, and then after we have our server module, we have also to do a small adjustment here on our client module, which is here basically this part. So the browser module, uh, starting with version four of Angular, has now a with server transition. And so in this way, basically, when the server delivers already the pre-rendered application back to the client, with this one here, we tell basically the client application, look, the application has already been pre-booted on the server side, so you, you can continue from that part on and, and, and basically do the dynamic stuff on top of it. Cool, so far that looks quite good. What's that app ID for? Actually, that's a part you have to add in 
but I didn't quite understand yet. That, that's something I'm still looking into because I didn't find any matching points so where I have to add that string. Like on the server-side configuration, I don't have to add that string. So actually, I could change it like this, and it would still work. So this is still something I have to look into what that is actually for. I actually, and sincerely, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. I'm Probably. I, I was imagining that it could be if you're like bootstrapping multiple applications that in some way he has to identify which one is the server-side one. So that could be a reason, but I'm actually not quite sure. I have to, to look into that as well. Cool. Great. Now, for having it bootstrapped in a more easy way, I have here added some scripts in the package JSON. So I have, for instance, added here the AOT compilation that, that is done before. We run our client or server-side application and then a build for the client, which is simply a web compilation. I built from the for server, which is actually quite the same. But obviously, here I use the server config of Webpack and a build all, which does nothing. I think concatenate both, both ones. So I render the server-side and then I render the client-side that gets compiled into the same directory. So let's give that a look. For instance, if I do run build all, and we will see here start building the client side and the server side here. So that takes some seconds. And then we should get our server side application rendered into the disk directory, just as we do normally when we build only our client side application. And so again, the, the only way we can do this right now in terms of with the CLI is to eject. We got to change some things. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the only solution I, I found right now. Because you could obviously create your Webpack configuration by hand, like Rob in his demo director demo repository created only a very minimal Webpack configuration. But the point in this way, I can at least benefit from like the, the whole scaffolding stuff of the CLI. Like I added the CLI package to the, the package JSON, and so it can generate new components, new modules, and serve it up with the CLI configuration. But obviously, I don't benefit from new features. Like when new features come out on the CLI, I would have to regenerate somehow and copy in those new configurations into my setup. And so that, that, like I said, that, that's being looked into right now. Exactly. That's exactly. And once that's the case, basically, yeah, yeah, that that's really obvious, awesome. Then because then you can work with the CLI's client and server side. So what I did here, we just generate basically a bundle. And you can see here we have the, the normal client side bundle. And we also have here the main server bundle, which I have renamed them this way in the Webpack configuration, obviously. And now I can basically start the main server bundle. And I have to use the sudo because hopefully I remember my password. Let's. Justin changed your password. <laughs> I didn't do it. I swear. Yeah, no, I did it. Okay, because I registered as zero zero. Obviously, you have to use sudo here. And now, if I go to localhost where I have registered this application, it loads up. And the difference now, however, is if I open the view source, get the pre-rendering stuff already from the server. So we don't have basically only the, the client-side stuff, but also the pre-runner server-side stuff. And that's quite nice. 
That's cool. Cool. Then a last thing for the third part, which you can show quickly, is now this is everything is fine here. We have created here a server-side application, and it's also quite a simple application. But for instance, if you take a look, this is a static image, so it's quite easy, and there's also static text. But here I have included, for instance, a script tag. And this is the, the, the Twitter follow badge, basically. And if you add them directly into your HTML code, normally you have to add basically that link here, and then you have a script tag here below, which Angular, however, doesn't allow you to do. So there are different kinds of strategies for doing that. Like I've created here different kind of versions of my app component. Let's highlight this here. So one thing I could do is really, really like probably stupid one. You have here the after view in it. You have here the element. You create the script tag, and whenever that is basically created, you attach it by using that element graph native element and depend it to the body of the, the DOM. The problem here, I know I don't know if you spotted it, is the document object. And so you always, again, here, you shouldn't use that document object or that global object really just for that reason. If you do the server-side rendering, that object would obviously not exist. And so if you know JS application, for instance, the Angular Universal part would try to bootstrap our app component, it would break here. And so we have different kind of options here. You could here do it manually. And what does that mean? Like, you could create I did. It's a so-called create element ref, which is so-called wrapper component. So I create that wrapper component where I then have that native global, which I call it here, which might not be ideal. Really, it, it should be an instance of the document here, for instance, if I am on the browser, and some other kind of object if I'm on the server. And it, here I did it just in the same way. And I told, I told him here if the element will be returned, so some script tag has been created, then basically set those parts on that script tag and then append it again on the child of the, of the native element, basically append a new child here. And in order to make sure that we have different kind of instances based on the server and the client, what we can do is actually create basically different kind of registrations. So if you remember, I've showed you previously, we have that app module and that app server module. And so what I do here is, for instance, in the app module, I import here from the global refs, which is where I specified those create elements. So if I take a look quickly at the global refs, you see I here I create simply an interface where it say I want to have some classes that have that create element functionality. And here I have the, an abstract class, which I can then have injected into my component, as we have seen. So we inject them here. And then I create basically two different kind of versions. I create a browser create element ref, which extends that one. And in that case, I return the document object. And then I create a node create ref, basically, which here it simply returns an empty object, which does nothing. And then in the app module, which is my client side module, I inject the browser create ref element. And here I say, okay, whenever you see that create element ref, use that instance. And as you can probably imagine on the server side part, if you I do the same stuff, but I include the node create element ref. And so this way it would work on the client and on the server side. But it's still not quite ideal because if you take a look here, what I did is some kind of trick here, because the server side will return null here, so that code will never execute. 
because again on a native element we would have an issue on the server side because there is no dom so that will break again and so to wrap up quickly i did the final version which is also suggested in many tutorials is basically to use the renderer class so also when you do styling you shouldn't access the native element directly and then do style dot something but rather you should always go through that renderer class and actually in angular version 4 they added the renderer 2 which is a second version not a version currently experimental and with that renderer class i can write it without an if i don't have to create those wrapper classes but i can simply say okay renderer give me a script element i can attach here different kind of properties and then i can do the append child on that renderer and that would then handle basically the client-side stuff where in the browser have DOM elements and server-side stuff, they basically exchange it with some different kind of thing which can run on the server and render on the server-side, which is really nice, I think. Yeah, that's nice, abstraction. Yeah, because Angular takes care basically of abstracting your platform. Great. So it makes sense with providing multiple platforms. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it because I ran already over time, I guess. All right, cool, Yuri. Thanks a lot. Those are awesome. All right, I'm going to stop presenting to you. All right, Justin, you got uh, some cool stuff to show us today? I do. I do. Awesome. I love cool stuff. Just like what Yuri is showing us. We've got some bike echo. Hit some mute. Okay. Um, one of the things I really like about our TIL shows is that these things kind of come together and we don't plan too much ahead of time of what we're going to talk about, but they always seem to overlap in some way and tie into one another. So pretty cool about that. My first one, let me go ahead and uh, present here. So my first one I want to talk about is this event manager class that Angular has for working with events, global events and, and other lower end events. So in terms of when we're talking about abstraction and we think about something like we want to wire up to a um, global event, like tie to the window and listen to like key up. So in this example here, I've got this key up command that I want to listen for, for any time the A key is hit and I want to be able to select these things that I have in here. So I have this sum item over here, and I want to be able to hit A and select it. My helper text is a little wrong here, but I'll talk about that in a minute. So this event manager class um, is something that's part of Angular platform browser, and you can get a hold of that, injecting that into your constructor, and then wire up, it has some methods on it. Um, so I can bring this up here, let's see. Oops. We got some add global event listener, add event listener, get zone. So you got some things off of here. And so right here, I'm just using the add global event listener. I'm providing it the thing that I want to target. So in this case, I'm, I want to wire up to the window object. So instead of just accessing the window object and wiring up to that event from in here, which is similar to the document that we just saw from URI, um, we can use this class to do so. Tell the object we want to wire up to, tell it the event that we want to wire up and listen for. And then it has a syntax where you can do this dot syntax off of it to then say, okay, for key up, I'm going to listen for the A key. Um, and then I have my callback function here, which in this case, I'm going to set this selected to the opposite of selected. And then in my template here, I basically just 
have this wired up for this class selected and some style around it, right? So now over here, I should be able to hit the A key and toggle this back and forth from this global event, right, for this, these key bindings. Now you have that. And then this uh, syntax actually. Real, so, real quick, you have that or that uh, you need control A. It just goes off of pressing the A key without the control modifier, correct? Correct. Okay. So um, right now, let's see. Right now, just ignore this part here. Uh, I'm going to add that here in a second. So uh, yeah, so it's just A. So it's bound up to A. Um, and then I can just hit A on and off again, and it'll toggle through, right? But now I could also chain this, this uh, interface here for this global event listener. I could do another dot, so I could do control dot A, and just start chaining these things together so that I say this key combo is what I want. And it's actually going to um, take this string and um, uh, convert some things like the control key for the actual event in the DOM is uh, not the word control, but it'll it'll handle that for us. So I can basically just do control A. Now I can come back over here, see if it's reloaded here. Now I've got control A to do it. But now you notice like control A, I'm on a Windows machine here. Control A is selecting everything. So I've got this native event that's, that's going on as well. Um, I could actually come in here and add another global event listener um, for a key down of that and just and take in the event or uh, yeah event and then just um, prevent default oh, actually yeah, stop pop propagation I think is what I want uh, prevent default prevent default right, so now I'm going to combo this in order to just make use of this you know control a so I can stop the default browser event from going here and now I believe I should be able to control A, and now I've got my behavior that I want, right? So this global, the event manager is pretty cool for providing you a way to wire up to those things in that way that's not directly tying to the window and that sort of thing. Uh, this also supports, um, if we go down here to the source code of this thing, um, they also have support for hammer gestures so for touch stuff so key events and hammer gestures you get some of that stuff so this is all stuff that's baked into the angular uh, platform that you can take advantage of so it's pretty cool can you also register other events probably yes so like on load events or something yeah yeah anything you want to attach to and then events yeah so not just key events but you could do i think dom events here as well um so yeah, it provides you that abstraction, right, from touching it directly, and then theoretically for things like you know server side rendering and stuff like that. Now this thing can swap out and and play nice in that realm versus the realm of running in a browser and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people are asking funnel for how you can add like access to the global object like window and document, but mostly for the reasons of registering events usually. That's right. really not right. So I, I really like that one. That one's pretty cool. We did some stuff with some key binding stuff recently, and, and that was a cool solution for that. OK, uh, my next thing is I want to talk about content child. So let's see if I got the right component here. Let's see. Do, 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 content child. OK, so the content child uh, decorator is I'm going to go in here. So in this case here, I've got this. Um, 
like a, a form field, right? This text box that I want to wrap in this container. And this is something that's um, kind of this approach that's was mentioned at ng-conf video with the material team of uh, thinking about like, I want to have some stuff around my text box. I want to have this custom control, like a label and then some, you know, information about whether it's required or not around this text box that you can use. But I still want to have access to the input from like my parent implementer component. Uh, so in this case, I have this component that's going to render my form. And I'd like to wrap this, just like what I'm doing here, is I like to put the input right in this form in this component template, but wrap it with this container um, component that provides this look and sort of thing around these things, right? Um, and we can make use of the content child in order to do this. So now we have this container element that's going to, you know, has a property for uh, an input for label, and it's going to have some internal content. So let's switch to this guy here. Um, so this component in his template is going to have ability to render a label out and inside this label I want to put whatever the content is. So in this case here, it's going to be this input. So it's, our input box is going to end up right here in this ng content, right? But I want to be able to get a hold of that input that you put in there in order to do things like up here have this has error and check that input to see if the control is invalid or not and then be able to apply some look and feel to it. I could do that with this content child. So the content child is going to target anything within this ng content, and it's going to take this um, query to try and match. And in this case, I have made a text box directive. And so this text box directive, if we go to this thing, um, it's basically, you know, I've got this attribute selector for TIL text box. So I'm putting this thing on my um, input text box here, input type text, I'm putting this TIL text box on here right now. And as Mike showed earlier, this could be input type text. There's multiple ways that we could do this to, to not have to apply this, but this is the one approach I have here. And so then this directive, all it's gonna do is it's gonna get a, in this constructor, it's gonna take this optional um, control, it's gonna um, get injected in the ng control that was applied to it. Now this works for, um, template and uh, reactive forms. The ng control is going to be basically the, the form control that's bound up to that thing. So if I go back to this input, because I have this ng model on here, I'm using the template forms approach. And so this is going to create a control uh, for us, this form control, and that directive is going to grab a hold of that. And I made it public so that it's a property on this um, element, essentially this class, this backend class. Now over in this um, content child, when I'm grabbing a hold of this thing with this um, query, it's going to set this property called input to an instance of that, in this case, text box directive, which is going to have a property on it called control, which is going to give me access to that form control that's been wired up through the forms. And now I can do things off of that, like that has an invalid property, the form control has an invalid property on it and I can get a hold of that and now make these decisions in my wrapper container to display those things. So like in this case, I can add some text and this basically, it's invalid because it's required. And so now if I back it out, I get, I get that coming back. So that's kind of the approach of, of using content child and some of the stuff that you can start doing with that. And, and the benefits I think here is that it allows you to, in your implementation component up here, keep these things as part of that yet leverage them from within these other components. So you think about things like styling this, this component can handle the styling of this because it gets a hold of that. Um, 
all kinds of different things like that. So I like that idea of having access to the control as well. I think that would work better with the example I was shown where you're formatting mm -hmm. um, values this way that value would uh, appropriately get um, applied into the form value. Yeah. Yep. So it makes things a lot simpler. I mean, there's other ways we've done this before where we're, we're passing in form control, bubbling things up and stuff like that. But this allows you to kind of make use of the native stuff. And another thing that they showed in terms of this form scenario is that um, talking about the fact that you have access to this input so you can do all the ARIA stuff, all the native stuff on this thing and, and get leverage with that without hiding that within a, a nested component sort of deal. So content child, pretty cool. My last thing is my new favorite thing. I really love this one. Um, I gave a talk at NGConf about embracing component tranquility and thinking about like when we componentize and the price that we pay to componentize. Um, and so do we need to rush in and componentize all the things and make components for everything? Or do we, are there other ways to kind of handle these, these concepts and these things that we've talked about in terms of web development where we've thought before we've taken scripting logic and apply it to chunks in our DOM to, to pull off some things, you know, and like NGF and those sort of things are examples of that, right? Um, but in this component world, we start thinking about taking those blocks inside that logic and putting it in a component so we can conditionally render them and, and deal with that. Um, but that gets problematic at times because you deal with the, the component nesting and the tree and all that stuff. So this approach here is taking in use of a template and template outlet within a single component template to conditionally render chunks um, or, or repeat render chunks without having to do another component for that. So in this case, I've got this ng template that I've set up that is going to render a product item, right? It's gonna show a name and a price for this product and it's got a div container around it. And I have this concept where I have two products that I have in my list and, and one product is gonna be a just a normal product and another product is gonna be one that's on clearance, right? And so it's like, it's a, if of this type, I wanna render this one. If it's of that type, I wanna render that one. Um, and instead of having a component for each of those types and then just handing this data down via an input, I could come right in here and create two containers. So the ng container uh, component is a, uh, or directive is uh, basically just a container that doesn't get rendered, but allows you to put in chunks inside of it um, to apply some logic to it, right? And you can do all of your um, structural directives, normal directives on an ng container that you're used to, like if you were to put this on a div or whatnot. So I'm making use of this container here, and I'm using the ng template outlet to wire it up to this product template, which is this guy here, which we learned about earlier from uh, Yuri's example. And uh, so now it's saying, okay, for this container, I'm gonna use product, and then it has this property called context that you can send in uh, to give it context for the particular template. And then you can make use of that context, the properties on that context, by doing this let product on our ng template here, and saying, okay, grab the item property, and whatever's in there, set it to this, this uh, item called product, and then I can use product name and product price. So we notice down here I have item one and item two and that their model structure looks like a name and a price. So in this first container, I'm, I'm basically using this um, um, structural directive, ng template outlet with the star. I'm doing the syntax of product to tell it the template I wanna wire up to. And then I'm doing the semicolon and saying context, set that equal to this object literal, 
with the property item and item one. The second container, I'm just making use of directives and binding for them and saying ng template outlet, bind that to product, ng outlet context, bind that to this object literal. Both these things are the same thing, so you could approach it either way. But now I basically have a way to say, okay, in this template, render this item one here, render this item two here, use the same layout, which typically you might think like, oh, that would be in a component, but now I don't have to have a component. So now I don't need this extra component. I've got all this stuff in this logic baked into my one single template. So ng template outlet and ng template. Um, so kind of exploring doing this approach some more in our application development. I think it's turned out pretty cool. Um, because we don't have that overhead of a component and the chaining down and stuff like that. So it works for certain scenarios. So I don't know, I thought that was pretty cool. And those can be nested as well, correct? In you terms of ng templates, and you reference another ng template inside of your current template, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine probably to go templates all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about like right inside of here, inside of this ng template, put another template or something? Yeah, so maybe if you had some sort of for conditional formatting around price, you know, like if it was negative or whatever it would end up being, um, mm -hmm. that you could have essentially like a price ng template inside a product. Uh, so that the idea of building a, a component structure like you normally would with nested components, you could do the same thing with it in nested uh, templates. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's pretty pretty powerful in terms of how we architect components to start thinking about that. So in cases where you just you don't need that overhead of additional component, if this is something that you're trying to pull off, you, you have that ability to do that with this logic in here. And it's a little weird, right? I mean, because we're in this kind of world with Angular where we've we've got to have Angular type syntax to kind of do these sort of things, right? So our NGFs, our our syntax that we've got inside of this template syntax inside of here, the, the templates and stuff, they're, they're very Angular specific to do these sort of things, right? Um, but that's part of the cost we pay for the power that we get with it, right? So just knowing how to do these things is pretty cool, add them to your tool belt. I always like to think that the fact and, and tell people and teach people that really I see Angular platform as this giant tool belt, right? And all these different scenarios that you have to decide which tools to use for each scenario, it's, it's really hard to take a prescribed formula and apply it to every layout or, or view or you know little user experience that you're building. It's more about understanding all the tools that you have available to you and then using them to architect the solution that fits for the thing that you're trying to target. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. I'm going to, so that's it for me. Uh, let's see. Go back here. Okay. Well, ran over a little bit of time, but hopefully that was useful. Love these TIL shows. We always throw out a bunch of information, which hopefully is helpful. Um, so let's get to picks. Okay, uh, Mike, you got any picks? I have no picks today. Okay. Nothing. That's fine. All your TIL stuff was your picks. Yuri, you got some? Yeah, I have some. So first of all, VS Code in general. I re As I mentioned initially, I really love it. I'm also using the insider builds where you get like daily updates and it's super stable. And there I would like to mention the code ace jumper plugin and the search node modules. Especially the search node modules is really useful because if you have to, to search like the whole list of node modules you have installed, you can use that one to directly jump into that folder and like expect to find those there. Mm -hmm. Then I have the ng-conf talk, which I really liked because I really awaited that talk uh, around packaging Angular. 
and also a friend of mine, the Jürgen van de Moor, I hope I spelled that one right, <laughs> created a human generator for basically creating scaffolds for Angular packages. And he also already adapted that one to the, the latest specs, like what has been shown at ng-conf. And the last one, which is a shameless promotion plug on my side, which is for my video course, which I created with PackPub, which is on really a beginner course and also some advanced stuff on learning Angular components, basically. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. Those are good picks. Like we mentioned earlier, too, Yuri puts out a ton of awesome content. Uh, definitely follow up on that and, and check that out in his video courses and his blogs. Um, lots of good learning stuff there. So, all right. My pick is uh, Angular's Flex-Layout module. Um, this is something that helps with Flex Layout from a API logical perspective uh, to make it easier to work with Flexbox type stuff with Angular. It's actually a, one of the main scope packages that are provided off the at Angular um, library. So it's something that you can use and check out and install in your application. Again, it's uh, so it's on github.com slash angular slash flex dash layout. Uh, there's some documentation on there, so check it out. We're gonna have a show couple months from now, uh, or Thomas is going to come on and talk about and demo that. So that should be pretty cool. That's my pick. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Yuri, for coming on and doing the TIL episode, sharing your knowledge. Hopefully, people got some good tidbits there. And until uh, we do the next one, thanks, I everybody. Am. I love these. And it, it, I think also let's open it up. If somebody wants to come on and do one of these with us, absolutely. Let us know. Love learning different tips from different people. There's a lot of learning. Yeah, definitely. Yuri uh, decided to be able to join us for this one, which was awesome. Uh, we had past, we had Victor Mejia join us. So definitely, if you're interested in sharing some knowledge and doing a TIL, doing a TIL episode with us, please reach out and let us know, and we'll uh, coordinate it because we're definitely going to do some more in the future. All right. Catch you next week. Later. Bye.